Hey everyone, this is Flipping Finance. I'm Sam Moore, and I'm joined by my co-host Fabian. Hello, hello. Today is April 5th, 2023. And today we're covering some good news and I'm flipping the script and having some burning questions for Fabian. With that, kick the disclosure music. As always, none of this is investment advice and does not constitute an offer to buy or sell securities, nor do any of my opinions reflect those of my employer, Valeo Financial Advisors, or any of its affiliates. This is for educational purpose only, and things change, so we have no duty to go back and revise any of this information. With that out of the way, Fabian, how are you? Well, here's the thing. I may have been a little preemptive with all my, my weather talk and talking about how excited I was for it to finally be nice. My house almost blew us. over. Today, there's been tornado sirens going on and off all day. Um, so not feeling great about that. So excited about the good news that you're going to be bringing to the table. Yeah. And talking about housing is a good place to start because I'm glad my house is still here with like the 40 mile an hour gusts. It but didn't, some people have come. <laughs> it didn't <laughs> collapse? No, not yet. You never know. <laughs> They're still young. Uh, we got like another storm cell to get through. But a lot of people are concerned about mortgage rates being higher and that contributing to like a huge housing crash. Everyone likes to say crash whenever there's a headline. So mortgage rates are around 6.75% on average. That's just a national average. It's different between in different areas. And the big thing that's happened over the last month is interest rates when you look at US Treasury. So we've talked about this before, mortgage rates are based off a spread of the U.S. 10-year U.S. Treasury. And the U.S. Treasury has come down a lot. So U.S. Treasury was at, U.S. 10-year Treasury was at 4%. It's down all the way to 3.4% right now. So you'd think mortgage rates would drop by that much, and they haven't. So the spread between those has continued to be really high. And higher mortgage rates means housing is more um, costly, and meaning not as people are going to buy a house. But on the flip side of that, there have been uh, not as many people putting their their houses on on the market. So inventory is really low. So despite higher housing costs, interest rates, possible tornadoes going through, um, home prices are staying really steady because that low inventory. So rates have kind of topped out for the mortgage rates, and we're not really seeing a big reset in housing. So why is why is the spread still high? You would have expected them to come down. Like, why didn't they? Did Jay pa- who, who who would have told us why or why not the spread would have come down? Would it have been yeah. Mr. Jay Powell? No. Yes. Yeah, it's a great question. So it's not it's not it's not our boy Jay. And actually, he doesn't really control the ten year U.S. Treasury at all. He only really can influence uh, short term rates. So the spread between the U.S. ten year and the mortgage is really dictated by the market and specifically banks. So banks are a little, what's the right word to phrase it? They're skittish right now. We've had three bank failures uh, this year that have happened incredibly fast, unprecedentedly fast. And they are, whenever banks get scared, they increase the, the, the spread on their interest rate, what they're loaning. And that's what you're seeing is this banks are like, we're not just going to take 
we're not going to fight each other on the rate. We're going to keep our rate high just because we're nervous for what's going to happen uh, in the extremely near term. And when you say that, is that they're, the, they're kind of like skittish and scared? They don't want to give out money? They're exactly. holding on to it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's a great question. Freaking banks. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to banks that. sunk, but you don't want to be your own bank, so... There's an episode about that. Pretty good one. If, you, if good you're one. interested, call back. Uh, yeah. So, you know, speaking of callbacks, speaking of being your own bank on the last episode, that episode was kind of prompted by some stuff that I heard at the gym. People are still talking at the gym. We were doing more deadlifts. People were talking about cutting back on spending. Never enough deadlifts. Yeah, never. Uh, and, and honestly, the best place, as I've mentioned before, to talk about finance is while you deadlift. Yeah. Watch He's out. Grease. Who let the He's dogs out? Um, but they were talking about cutting back on spending. So wh- where are we with that? You hear some people thinking about like things are costing more. Maybe I'll cut back. But when you go and look at what companies are saying, that is not happening at all. So a great example is on Carnival's earnings call. So the cruise ship, their CFO said right now, there's not a lot of volatility. Volatility just means going up and down. Uh, showing up in their business right now. So consumers are still willing to really spend has been the big thing. So um, everyone kind of, when they're calling for a recession, is saying the consumer is going to fall off a cliff. But if you go look at Lululemon earnings, if you look at Nike earnings, all the consumer brands, that's what we consider discretionary. I mean, I don't really need Lulu pants, but they are great. They should hire me to be a brand ambassador. But it's an episode for another day. Uh, those companies are still uh, chugging along pretty good. And then when you go and look at what you would call, so that's hard data, that's like earnings coming in. And then you go look at soft data. So that is a uh, consumer confidence survey. That's at an all-time high. So it's actually above 2020. So if you go and ask people like, hey, how are you feeling from like, how confident are you today? Uh, Pretty good. People are feeling pretty good about where they're at. How can that be? Like where, where is the confidence coming from? Well, I think this has been like an interesting thing since ever since inflation got high, when we inflation peaked, consumer confidence was really low. But if you ask people individually how they felt, everyone felt fine. It's like inflation is not impacting me. I'm good. I'm just worried about everybody else. So it's got that impact that I'm doing good and I'm going to keep spending money type thing. Is that a dangerous mindset to have? Like what... I mean, could there be adverse effects due to potential false consumer confidence, right? Like sure. when, you, when you dive into the the newsletter, uh, there's like a whole quote in there. But one of the things that they call out is that um, th- this person, Rhines, uh, says that higher wages and job postings are everywhere. And that kind of leads to consumer confidence, right? But is that kind of telling the whole story and could there be a negative impact? because of false confidence. Yeah, there could be, and that's what you would call the animal spirits. <laughs> and that shows, yeah, it's a, you call it animal spirits. And that's where that definitely happened in 2021. Everyone was way too confident and stock prices were way too high on a valuation standpoint. I think it showed up there where valuations got too high. Now, when it comes to consumer spending, that makes up roughly like 70% of the U.S. economy. So as long as the U.S. consumer is still strong and and spending money, it kind of spending money creates more money. 
You know, if I if I'm paying you for something that puts money in your pocket and you go and do something with it as well, that's how the American economy works. So yes, it can show up and it does specifically in market valuations, but as long as the consumer doesn't get over levered too much debt, which is not the case right now, mm. then I think it's fine. So maybe the higher interest rates are kind of tempering some of that being like over leveraged. Exactly. And that, 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 that was the whole point. That's why the Federal Reserve wanted to raise rates was to kind of coal. I don't think coal is the right word, but kind of like claw back some of the, the consumer confidence. People were spending too much money. Things were getting too frothy. That's why they did that. I like that too frothy. Yeah. You can steal that. I put it in my memory bank. Uh, speaking of banks, uh, any updates on SVB? Any more banks kind of falling off a cliff? What's going on there? Yeah. So that, I think there, that's that's good news in that is we haven't seen any other bank weakness. So Silicon Valley Bank, we've covered that. Anosium had failed in incredible fashion. And then two other smaller banks, Silvergate Signature, had similar setups and they failed as well. But we've got a chart in the show notes that shows us how unique those banks were based a, on a just composition structure of what they were doing. So as of right now, we just had some wacky outliers go bust and everything seems to be doing well um, in the banking sector. So First Republic was having a lot of issues. It's stabilized for now. So as long as there's no other dominoes falling in that regard. So people were a little worried about their banks for roughly two weeks. And it, I think we've gotten through this little mini crisis that definitely could have snowballed. But then again, that's we talked about the Federal Reserve earlier. The Federal Reserve started because of a bank run crisis. Mm-hmm. So the, the Fed is the, the bank of last resort. And they definitely stepped in and helped First Republic. And they're, they're, not, they're, they're not perfect either. I mean, they're human, but they're supposed to be the bank of last resort. And I think they did a good job given the circumstances that they put themselves in and then the market put them in and things are doing okay right now. Um, so two questions on this. One, we're like when the Fed bails bailed out these banks, we like we, the the general American public, like we're not bailing them out, right? Like that's not going to impact us or is it? So I wouldn't, I don't, I don't call it a bailout. I wouldn't call it a bailout because anyone who owned the stock and anyone who owned the bonds of those companies went to zero. Mm-hmm. So that's so sucks and for them. Two, yeah, it sucks for them. That's the risk you take. And in 2008, there were definitely bailouts where stockholders didn't go to zero. Like the government came in and saved stockholders, you didn't lose all your money. So that I consider that more of a bailout. What the government came in and did was they took care of uninsured depositors. Now, because of how the banking system is, is set up and on top of the, all the fiscal monetary stimulus we had over the last three years, there is a ton of uninsured deposits. Mm-hmm. Now, there were a ton of uninsured deposits before 2020, so I don't want to make it like the quote-unquote printing money machine created all this uninsured deposits. It was a slight issue before, but now it's just been exacerbated. And they didn't want other uninsured depositors pulling their money and going to a bigger bank that like a JP Morgan or something like that. So that's what kind of happened at First Republic. So they stepped in and supported uninsured depositors. That way there wasn't a bank contagion effect. There were, that's why there wasn't runs on other banks. Right. And then is the, kind of this being a little bit in the rear view, 
is there a silver lining? Was this a good thing to have happened to point out some uh, maybe blind spots in the banking industry? Yeah, yeah. I think if the, the, there's criticisms, there's whenever like this happens, there's you know blame to point everywhere. I think the big thing is better and more more robust risk management just on Silicon Valley banks uh, own. They didn't really need regulation. Like anyone who had was paying it, like they overrode their risk models. It's coming out. Like they saw the risk in their portfolio and they overrode it. So it's not like if they had regulation, yeah, the regulator would have came in and be like, hey, that's an issue. You can't do that. But also it was like their own fault that they did it. So I think it is pointing out an issue in the banking system right now, which is uninsured depositors. And there's a lot of them. But it's not like there's an easy fix for that because you can't, if they go, if if regulation goes, anyone who uh, all deposits are insured, well, you banks have to pay insurance to the FDIC, so the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. They have to pay money to that to cover bank failures like this. And if you insure all deposits, it just changes how all banking really works. So like, why why would a bank pay interest if like your money is insured 100%? type thing. If it's risk-free, why, why would you get any money for it? And also like there's a higher cost um, to, to doing business now. And it's not like everyone hates when banks make, make money, but it's important that they they don't fail. So you have to make some, some money. And we talked about things earlier where there are vehicles that cost a little bit more money that banks can use. Insured cash sweep, ICS is one of them. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank could have used that and it would have been totally fine. So like, I think it's people are waking up to like, oh, that's a little bit of an issue. We need to figure that out. Got it. What about inflation? Where are we at with inflation, Sam? So that that's the great thing is I think inflation is starting to get boring again. You don't hear people really talking about it. Now you hear like the one-offs where eggs had a real big issue over the last six months and that had nothing to do with really prices. It was like an avian flu going through um, the chickens, unfortunately. But inflation's has peaked. It's coming back down. And I'm not going to drop another inflation term on you today. I know that would get you going. But majority of them are are looking really good and, and trending in the right direction. All right. That is good news after all. Normally, we flip to your burning questions after this. But I'm thinking about getting a new car. And you used to work at a dealership, correct? I did for a long time. How many Too years? Long. Seven years. Seven years. Yes. So this is whenever you're going to buy a car, it's the classic agency problem. So this exists in finance too. And it's why people are hesitant around engaging an advisor like myself or someone someone else. And it's that person you're sitting across the table from you knows a shitload more than you do. Right. And you feel like you feel like they're just <laughs> they're just trying to screw you. And in finance, you're like, oh, no, I'm a fiduciary. I'm a nice guy. Even though that means like nothing, you could still definitely screw somebody, even if you're a fiduciary. But even more so in sales, car sales, because your incentives are not really aligned. So walk me through kind of how you buy a car now that you have the experience that you do. Sure. And the the game that you're playing, right? Me, the salesperson, is trying to hold on to as much money as possible. And you, the buyer, is trying to take as much money as possible to pay the least amount of money for your car, right? 
And I yeah. know that I've got certain incentives that I can take advantage of that I'm going to hold on to until you ask me for them several times, right? <laughs> several times. Several uh, and there's other things on the back end, depending whether you're financing, that, that can help bring down the, the the total amount. But I think that the number one thing that you have to do is go out to the internet and just start looking on all kinds of carve sites to see what other people have paid, right? And start doing some research on some boards, because people like freely, Kelly Blue Book. I mean, that's a good place to start, right? Like that's a very like basic general place to start. But you know, I'm not a big Reddit type person, but I'm sure you can find subreddits on any car buying process that you want to, and people will tell you what they've gotten, right? So you want to come armed with some of that information so you can say, dude, I know somebody or dudette, I know somebody purchased this car for this amount using these incentives, right? And you're taking away some of that knowledge that they're kind of holding back on. Um, Another good thing that you want to do is talk to as many dealers as you have the time to manage, right? So every big city, every big town is going to have a minimum of two different dealerships kind of on opposite ends of town, right? I can probably throw a rock in any direction and hit a Chevy dealership around here. So email Mm -hmm. all of them. And just say, okay. hey, I am going to be buying a car in the next X amount of time. I'm looking for the best price. What can you do? Right. And these offers are going to start rolling in. And then just be that person. You know, the person that the sales guy or or woman hates. Make them work. Make them work. Yes. Make them work and pit them against each other because your goal as the buyer is to get the best price. Their goal as a salesperson is to, you know, keep the most amount of money. So okay. once you've exhausted. Last ahead. time I did, I, I did that last time I bought a car and honestly it felt good. I drew, I drew a circle, two hour drive around Indy and I emailed every dealership that we were, we were like interested in this one car and we're like, we want this car, this type of model, open to other models. What's your price point? If you're the best, I'm not really going to negotiate with you. Like I'll take it. And I emailed 10 of them. So that's what I did, but I didn't do, I didn't do the research that you did of what are the incentives. Yeah. And, and that's kind of like the first place to start. Hop on the dealer's website, right? Because they'll post some of that stuff. And and right now, because of the scarcity of like chips and whatnot, there's not a lot of inventory. So some of those incentives have kind of been dialed back because yep. there's not They're inventory to sell. Slight they are starting now. to come back. So you see a lot of people that are trying to sell stuff for sticker price or maybe above sticker, which is kind of crazy. So that's mm-hmm. when you start going out of state. There's nothing that a dealer likes more than taking something out of somebody else's backyard. So our last two cars we bought in Cincinnati, we could have bought oh. them here, but now, you know, you know, we didn't because they didn't give us a good price. So okay. you know, email as many people as you can manage those, those conversations uh, would be, okay. would be my advice there. Have you ever looked at leasing? Yes. When is it, when is it beneficial for me to lease versus buy? I feel like that's always the big question. Yeah, a couple of reasons why you would do that. And this is what I used to tell my clients, right? If you drive predictably 10, 12, or 15,000 miles a year, that's like check number one. Okay, lease is kind of you know starting to look more enticing. And then if you're somebody who gets bored with a car every three-ish years, then it's like if those two things are check marks for you, 100%, I would suggest somebody lease a car right? Overall exposure to what you're going to be paying is going to be a lot less. Your payment is typically going to be cheaper and you're protected against when you go to turn in that vehicle. Let's say for some reason you're in an accident, 
there's something on the Carfax. You know, if you own that car, you're kind of on the hook for the loss in value. When you return that lease car, as long as you've taken it to the body shop, you get fixed through insurance like you typically would, whether you lease or you buy, you know, that that value loss isn't going to go to you. You turn in your keys, you get the next one, you keep rolling. So the depreciation. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Depreciation. Yep. Okay. You're not, you're not on the hook for that. Okay. Are you on the hook for the service? Sometimes when you lease, you can kind of roll it in and it's a lot cheaper. Uh, so, I mean, and it, it differs from manufacturer, right? Like some people include it in the sales price. Other people you can prepay up front. I would always okay. recommend kind of prepaying up front because it's going to be cheaper. Okay. So. And then what happens when you're like, I got to go check with my manager, you know, because, because my understanding is like you, you have, you have a spreadsheet in your head and you're like, okay, I can give this, I can take this. And let's say for every car I sell baseline, maybe let's say, let's just say, I have no idea. Every car I sell, I make $2,000. I can, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. That would be awesome. Okay, so it's way less. Okay, $1,000? Whatever, $1,000? Most dealers don't pay a flat for a new car sale, right? Okay. You're going to get paid a margin on your profit. And that's going to vary, right? So where I worked was a little bit different, right? To your point of what happens when you go talk to the manager. Where I worked, I was the point of contact for the entire process. You come in to test drive a car, I'm your person. You want to talk financing, I'm your person. When it comes to okay. getting sold, I'm your person. When it comes to like, hey, I need help servicing my car, you call me, I'm your person, right? Like, you better like me because I'm involved in the entire process. And so when somebody would go talk to a manager, they're at a point where they know how much they have to play with and anything mm-hmm. over that, they ha- for the most part, this is how it would work. If I had to go talk to a manager was, okay, I know how much I have. I really want to sell this car because I want to hit my number. I've reached my limit. I'm going to go talk to the manager, see where we're at for the month and whether it's worth it or not to sell that gotcha. car, right? Because someone's you, going to buy it. It's just, do we want to lose a little bit more money on it or can we try to keep as much as possible? And have you ever listened to the Ira Glass, This American Life? Yes, it's awesome. Oh my gosh. So yeah, you're, you're bringing in the quotas too because like you might, I don't know how many cars you needed to sell a month, but let's say you need to do 20 mm-hmm. or 25 whatever it is. So you might be willing to take a loss on a car or not make money on a car because if you meet your quota, you get a certain amount of- Yes, you get that money back. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. So really when you're going to the boss, it's like, well, I need to get approved losing 500 or whatever amount of dollars because of the incentives. But hey, Mr. Boss, Mr. Dealer, if we push this car- we meet our quota or closer to our quota yes. and we make X amount back. So that's yep. why you're going back and meeting your boss. Yep. Because it may okay. be too early in the month and it's just like, no, I'm not worth it. Right. Somebody gotcha. else will come and pay what we're asking for that car. Okay. And is it, is it true? Cause if you go and listen to this American life and I, I forget what episode it is, but if you type in it's this an old American one, life, but it's good. I think it's the best one I've ever listened to, but <laughs> apparently at the end of the month, because of this quota system, in the dealerships, it is more favorable to buy a car at the end of the month 
assuming that dealership has not met its quota. Yes. Because if they have, they'll just they'll just wait. They're like, nah, screw it. But they haven't. Well, and and that depends on the salesperson too, right? Like, let's say if I'm at nine cars, it's the last day of the month. If I get double digits and I get to 10, then I'm also earning an extra 20%. Okay. Right. So then I'm a lot more motivated to sell that car at a yeah. little bit of a loss, right? Yeah. What a racket. Yeah. It, it, it is one of those industries where negotiation is still such a big part of the process. Because of how the incentives are set up. And right. And, and typically what you'll find is like you have about 7%. It used to be a lot bigger. The margin between MSRP and like wholesale would be sure. like 20%, right? So you had a lot of room to play with there. That's got come, come down to about 7%. So when I was still okay. there, we had about 7% to play with, right? And that's Interesting. not including any incentive. So let's say there was like $1,500 on certain models. You had $1,500 plus 7% off the MSRP. Okay. So I think the big takeaway is like, next time you're looking to go for cars, first find out what incentives are available for the car, which I didn't do, I didn't think about. Mm-hmm. And then for me, the best way to negotiate, because I'm not like an in-your-face negotiator, it's kind of annoying. I don't want to drive somewhere 45 minutes to like negotiate and leave. (laughs) But I'm emailing 10 dealerships and be like, this is what I'm interested. I see you on your lot. What's your best price? Yep. And then once they give you your best price, then you ask for the incentive, I think would be a a good idea. So once somebody names their price, be like, oh, and then you could add this on, you could add this on. And and be ready to make a decision. Mm -hmm. Like don't be that person who asks for the moon they cave and they give it to you and they're like, okay, I got to think about it. Yeah. Like that's oh, terrible. That's yeah, we, like be, yeah. be ready to make a decision. Okay. Yeah. And then like, people always ask about financing as well too. So if somebody does the dealer kind of whatever the 0% APR deal, mm-hmm. my guess is that there's less incentives that they can do on the price. So it's like kind of the trade off. If you bring your own financing, like a bank or something like that and then, your rate's like five, six, seven percent. But then like what well, you can do 0% APR. I've seen where there's a little give and take on the price depending on how you finance. Is that right? Uh, yes and no. I know some manufacturers will say you can either take this incentive or you can take 0% financing, right? Or, or like okay. this lower rate. That was never the case when I was working with it was like, you know, it was based on tiers and sometimes we were upfront about what tier you were at, right? Like there's, uh, I, I don't even remember the tiers, but there was like a super tier where like you could almost get 0%, you know, at, at that mm-hmm. time. And then, you know, that's another way that we were making money is we were holding on to, okay, hey, we can show them 2.99 and really we, you know, we can sell it for 1.99, we're making 1% or 0.99 and we're making 2%, right? On, on the spread okay. there. Um, so be informed on that too, right? Okay. Because if they try to sell it to you and you know what your credit score is, just like have all your information that you know that you can have that's like a uh, kind of like a chip in your corner, right? Of just like, hey, I've got great credit. I know I can get instantly financed. Like bring all that to the table and do research on what financing rates are out there. Because yeah. they'll try to get you on, okay, hey, we can do 4%. And you're like, hey, here's my credit karma. I've got like an 850 credit score. I should be the highest tier. I see that you guys 
are also offering like 1%, right? Like these numbers are way out of whack right now, but- I think, I think people are worried that they're getting lied to. If, you, if you're if you honest with somebody like that, they're usually be honest back, right? Yeah, I mean, be, call them out, yeah. <laughs> you know? Okay. Like they, they won't lie to you, but they're not gonna tell you the truth, if that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like if you don't ask me, I'm not going to tell you. Right. But if you ask me, I'm not going to lie to you. Yeah. That's not dating advice, right? (laughs) Yeah. Omission (laughs) is, uh, is basically just as bad dating. Yeah. Okay. Well, if that's uh, all for your questions today, we can wrap it up. That's all I got, man. All right. Well, feel free to subscribe, share, rate the podcast. And as always, if you have questions, feel free to reach out to us and try and answer them as best we can. Bye-bye.